0: Who knew that playing Skyrim for PS4 would play such a crucial role in my wife's recovery process? From California, this is Stranger Than Christian. The Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian and I blame the doctor for telling her she has to wiggle her fingers constantly. That's what they tell you when you get carpal tunnel surgery. The best thing you can do is wiggle your fingers, wiggle your thumbs, get circulation back in your hands. And she has done that by playing Skyrim for eight hours a day. <laughs> I love her so much I'm so happy she came out of it okay uh, thank you to everybody by the way who was so patient and who uh, sent us cards and emails and texts uh, wishing my wife well during her carpal tunnel during her carpal tunnel surgery carpal tunnel is one of those phrases that sounds less like a word the more you say it um, and I've said it a lot in the past week or so so my wife had her surgery on her her left hand, so not her dominant hand. Um, She has it in both. And luckily, we caught it before there was any significant muscle loss or nerve damage because that's uh, some of the danger of letting carpal tunnel syndrome go untreated is that you can lose muscle mass in that part of your hand so she got the left hand done she has a really cool looking scar Um, she gets her stitches out next week and then it's another two weeks of recovery after that and then she gets the right hand done you could probably hear her playing Skyrim in the background as I'm saying this you hear that that is the sound of healing (laughs) Um I'm having a great time having her home. It's nice to um it's nice to help her. It's fun to help. I've been doing everything that she can do with her left hand. Um installed the bidet, that was awesome. It's still awesome. Highly recommended by the way. Um I'll save detailed discussion on that for a different episode, but yeah she gets the right hand done after that and then she'll be able to paint and work and do all kinds of things again. Um, that was a big concern of mine. You know, I would see her, her easel and her paintbrushes and stuff just kind of sitting there gathering dust. And I figured, my God, that has to be because of her hands. It has to be because she can't hold a, a brush and coming from the type of family that I come from, um, not being able to create is like not being able to breathe and so that was a huge concern of mine i'm glad she has come out of this first part of it scot-free and i am grateful that she's having a smooth recovery process what the hell else did i want to talk about oh yeah i'm sitting here it's 9 forty three p.m eastern time and in about 17 minutes my Pope Kanye West will hopefully be performing the third Donda live stream listening event. I am uh confession time. I'm one of these people that has been waiting for weeks and weeks and weeks for this new album. And I am excited beyond words that hopefully it's coming out tonight. Um, as they say in the office, I am ready to be hurt again. Um, but that is where I'm deriving a lot of my excitement this evening. Um, you, if you listen to the show, you know how much I love Kanye and, uh, I can't wait to have a guest that loves him as much as I do so we can just have a full-on, just a full-on conversation. My buddy Paul from back in the day, he worked at one of the hotels I used to work at, and um, he loves Kanye. And we used to talk about him all the time and just analyze and dissect and interpret and I wonder how Paul's doing. I saw him at the wedding a few weeks ago. Good guy. Today, my guest is Dr. Juko Holiday. She lives in California. She is a mental health professional. Um, She really dabbles in all sorts of things as they relate to self-care, mental health, yoga, Buddhism. Um, She had an incredible story, um, just one of complete... Loss and rebirth and resilience, and I was so fascinated to learn about her life, and she was fascinated to learn about my life as well. Um, I hope you enjoy getting to know the both of us. This conversation went to places that I didn't think it would go. Um, it's not very often that some of these things are, are are shared, especially among complete strangers. I'm very, I feel very fortunate. And I feel honored that I was able to have such a deep dive with Dr. Jugo. I hope you enjoy. Facebook at Stranger Than Christian, Twitter at Stranger Than C, Patreon.com slash Stranger Than Christian. And I'll be back with that conversation with Dr. Jugo Holiday from California in just a minute. But first, here is a word of interest about a phenomenal program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian. Stay right there.
1: Hey there, Robo fans and Dino fans! Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs Dinosaurs. Every week, your host Louis G invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a Robocast. It's a DinoCast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at RobosBDinos
2: or Twitter at Versus Robots. That is at VS Robots. Hi Christian, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can hear you. Doctor Juko. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Hi. <laughs> Time so... zones
0: are confusing, aren't they? I, I it has been one of the most difficult aspects of doing this thing is getting all the times coordinated.
1: I can I can only imagine. So I I am wait minute, I'm 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 like a little lady sometimes. I got it. I have it. Okay. Uh I I just needed somebody to see my thing that I have here and how fancy it is.
0: Well, you know, I don't have my camera on, but I'm I'm going to open up my laptop cuz I okay. never I never Okay, I'm looking. Oh, that is fancy.
1: It's fancy. Look. It's really fancy. Wow. Um, and uh and and um so I I apologize. I am I thought boy, I thought I had it. Right. And there I th- is-
0: no apology necessary. This is exactly how I want every episode to start. It's, opposed, it's I want this to be as organic as possible.
1: In absolute chaos. That's
0: that's, that's how I live, in absolute chaos. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that sometimes.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is hotter than I'll get out here. I just have to say that. And I turned on, I don't even really like to do this, but I turned on my air condition because uh I uh, I was just I was sweltering and so hopefully it's not provide it's not too much of a audio
0: no 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 impediment on your audio at all you sound fantastic it's right. 97 degrees over here right now
1: who it was only the it was it's the only it's only the okay it's the low 80s no high 80s low 90s right that's how you say it but I every time I try to just the temperature I wind went, went up saying the late 80s and early 90s <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's my favorite era of R&B music too by the way <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, and as I say it I'm thinking that doesn't that's not that's not how that goes
0: that's okay. So, so I,
1: hopefully, I, I'm I'm looking right at my camera. I hope hopefully I won't make you uncomfortable. No, I'm
0: not like... at all. I'll tell you what I do, and this is only because I'm so used to this being audio only. I just mm-hmm. put my laptop cover down a little bit, oh. so I'm not I'm not even looking right now. We're just this okay. is like as as organic a conversation as we could possibly have because this is the first time you and I are ever speaking ever.
1: Yes, ever ever ever. And so and so so I won't get distracted by my own self. <laughs>
0: But you were excited to do this. Well, I got the I got the response back from when I sent out the initial email after you had filled out the thing, and you seemed very excited to take part in this.
1: Well, I and and I had not listened to your podcast, uh, and and considering where I uh, made contact. The forum in which I made contact to become a guest on your podcast, I really should have listened to it first um, before I agreed to do it. Um, but but um, I just, I loved the idea, the idea of it. Like just, I was like, yes, I'm in. I'm all about that.
0: Well, I'll tell you this: most people don't listen, and I think I prefer it that way. Because again, following this thread of let's make this as organic as possible, a lot of people jump into it and don't know what to expect. But they come out of it and they go, "Oh, it's like this was nice." You know, it's almost right. like getting a flu shot. It's like, "Oh, that was it," <laughs> you know, where you don't know what to expect, but then it happens. Oh, okay. Well, that was well. That was enjoyable.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I only listened. Just the other day, I think the day that we were originally going to speak. And I just, I was like, I should make sure this isn't like <laughs> some big practical joke
0: show or Oh my God. Can I tell you a quick story? Of course. Do you know that somebody reached out to me back in... Oh, this must have been February or March. And they said, you sound like a great guest for my interview series. Could I interview you on my podcast? And I'm thinking about promoting the show. Okay, fine. Why not? Let's have some fun. It'd be nice to be on the other side of that for a little while. Do you know what turned out to be a big prank? (gasps) And it turned out to be it was some comedy student trying to, like, make some sort of hidden camera microphone prank show. Like, but, Bo-
1: like Borat?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the only difference is that he wasn't funny. Oh, no. <laughs> so I, oh, and, 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 and I noticed it maybe like two minutes in because oh, I, I picked up the phone because it was, um, it, was all, it was all phone based. So I picked up the phone and he had a producer that was on and she said, okay, I'll patch you into the studio. And he started talking to me and he asked me a question like, how old were you? When you discovered you had cancer,
1: <gasps> now that—that's horrible and, that I just laughed. But I'm- right,
0: well, well, he asked that, and 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 my immediate thought was okay he thinks he's talking to a different guest he must have had right. somebody scheduled and maybe right. there's a, the same name or something and then his producer got on and said hey no this isn't the cancer kid this is the one with the podcast and just from that point on I can tell just by how mm. scripted it was that it was a total sham and so I scrambled him completely and he ended up hanging up on me it was good fantastic <laughs> it was fantastic the you. most empowering thing that had happened to me <laughs> in months <laughs> good for
1: you well I don't know if you remember but I responded. To a post that you put on Reddit, which is a dangerous place to like make. Connections with people because of how it awful is dangerous.
0: It, it is dangerous, and yet that is where ninety percent of my guests have come from. This you are episode number seventy six. Wow! And uh, the vast majority, maybe except for I can count on one hand the number of guests that haven't come from Reddit, but that's wow. where they've all come from.
1: Wow! I'm I am first of all I'm in awe that I'm. You said number seventy six.
0: This is number 76.
1: 76. So I had or have, I don't know, a podcast and I got to four episodes and I just got tired. And the pandemic started and it was this deeply kind of personal storytelling with Buddhist and and philosophy and psychology, like my whole kind of thing I do. And, And a lot of the stories were kind of heavy and it was like, Talking about trauma and wounding, and when the when the pandemic came, I was like, nobody wants to hear this. <laughs> this is like really depressing, and so I just, I just never, I haven't had the heart to start again. So I am so impressed that you like have hung in there.
0: If some... I could be honest, I'm impressed with me too. <laughs> <laughs> because to I'm you. amazed that I built up that because you know. It's it's very difficult to maintain a schedule and keep the discipline of, you know, record twice a week, edit once a week, upload Ugh. once a week. And Ugh. I've been doing that since April of last year. And one of the things I've learned this year, and maybe given your background, you can provide some insight on this. Yes. There is empowerment in quitting Mm and taking a break and not doing it as much as there is empowerment in doing it and my girl simone in the olympics taught me that this past you know these past couple of weeks yes
1: yes no absolutely um so i mean i there's so many responses that i have for to that just let me take a breath (laughs) because I'm getting excited about
0: it. Sure. Please, please, Um, please.
1: But I'm, I'm in that same situation myself, and I'm also drawing a lot of empowerment and strength from the example that Simone Biles has given us to be at that level and to say, I'm good. I don't have anything to prove to anyone other than myself. And... I think that it's interesting that something that seems like so so such a common sense decision, because part of it was that she was experiencing something called the twisties, which meant that she noticed that she was not on point in terms of orienting herself in midair, which could result in a really serious injury. And so isn't it kind of, doesn't it just make sense that one would say, hey, I'm not en forme, as they say in French, and uh, I could injure myself, so I'm going to step back. And yet that is like revolutionary that, that, that she did that. And people are just amazed by it. And right. so I think that says a lot about who we are and about our grasping and just about the um, our identity being wrapped up in that which is external to us. And not in who we, who we really are in, in our insides, in our interior, right?
0: I, I've talked about it a couple times in other episodes. I but heard you talk idea, about it. <laughs> the idea of hustle culture mm. and having a side hustle. And, and uh, you know, it's funny. There's an electrician two blocks away from me that has one of those big signs where, you know, they put up a different phrase every month or whatever. And, and the phrase on it this month says, if you rest, you rust. And I cannot wow. think of a more inappropriate, <laughs> horrible piece of advice to give. You have to rest. yeah that's that's part of the game. You have to take a second and take time for yourself because if you don't give time to yourself, nobody else is going to give it to you. Your, your you tank, are the yes. first you know what I mean you yeah. are the one that's in charge of your self-care. That's not anybody else's purview
1: and And I think it's amazing that we have come to a point where she was able to give herself permission to um, make that decision and that she had the support of coaches etc because you know she was also part of she was one of the the gymnasts who was uh, victimized by Larry Nasser. and uh, I think I have that right. Um, I don't think she testified but might want to fact check that but that's my memory and so just to see where the gym gymnast culture has moved right so that she could go from kind of being on the receiving end of that and into actually being able to stand up and say i'm good <laughs> like i'll right. take the silver that's fantastic right right, right. um yeah. yeah and i i am i am anti i'm so anti-hustle culture because my whole job is about helping people to relax but what's interesting is that in that work i had wound myself up to just be working too much and to be doing too much myself so there's a lot of irony so it, it is really hard to resist the hustle and it is it feels like okay if i'm resting i'm being lazy right or i don't deserve this it, it it gets very deep into our self-worth so self-care and self-worth are really intricately
0: linked what are some of the ways in which you disconnect from your work when you feel it to be necessary when it gets to be too much and you've done too much and you need to take time to yourself what are some of the activities or some of the strategies that you employ to give yourself that time <laughs>
2: This is gonna
1: be this is hysterical. So, <laughs> I I feel like I should give some context about my work, right? So please do, so, yeah, please do. So this is what's so funny. So I well I'm an entrepreneur. I guess that's one one way to to phrase it, right? And and um, but I've worked in in the wellness industry. I work as a psychotherapist. I have a doctorate in psychology, and I own a yoga studio. And I lead yoga teacher trainings and yoga therapist trainings. Um, I I uh, help train people who are interested in yoga therapy and mental health. Um, I could I was like, oh, should I name drop this? This might sound kind of braggy, but. Like I've been contracted. I teach meditation to uh, different teams at Google and Facebook. That's so that's so tacky, right? To like <laughs> no, that's not tacky. I think
0: <laughs> I think that's unique. I think that's exciting.
1: Well, I I I think well that isn't that interesting because there here I am offering this evidence that you know to kind of uh, communicate to you and 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 listeners that like I'm not like oh I'm a meditation teacher right? It's like no listen. <laughs> I am you know, I really am like this is my career, like this is what I do, this is how I eat, this is how I earn a living. Sure. So when you pose the question to me about what I do to unwind, I I feel like I should say something like, Oh, like I put myself in a restorative yoga posture and I do some pranayama. But really what I do is I watch Judge Judy on YouTube.
0: <laughs> and I, I love judge judy so much i love so judge judy. I love Joe judy so much you know how many times in my life i've said to people um is not an answer <laughs> <laughs> um is not an answer um is not an answer it's not it's, it's not, not an answer and you can tell they're lying an when they start saying um it's, look look right here and then yeah. and then <laughs>
1: the other person i like to watch is i love to watch gordon Ramsay yell at people so What's interesting is that you can imagine that my work as a psychotherapist and a meditation teacher means that when I'm with people, I'm calm and grounded. So my work is to sort of breathe and be grounded and be present and to notice and to listen, to listen to people's stories over time, to point out their wholeness, right? All the things. But when I Step out of my work. Like, that's the last thing I want to do is like get in a restorative
2: yoga posture.
1: And like, I want to, I want to watch Judge Judy. Because sure. I would never talk to someone like that. So I get to vicariously, like, like, you know, I just love it.
0: <laughs> well, that's part of the draw of that type of entertainment, and you're talking to the right person because I love Joe Judy, and I grew up watching game shows my entire life, and I love them for the same reason they are escape yeah, it's an escape from what what whatever you might be dealing with for half an hour you can dive into the life of somebody else you could dive into another room and yes. and, and and you know watch the conflict and mm-hmm. the and the and the communication and the, i it's i i'm I'm fascinated by it, so I definitely understand what you're talking about yes
1: and i I also want to say that. Um, I, if if a client of mine or a student of mine said that this is what they did to unwind, I would delight in them saying that because what it is is is, um it is an inquiry that I that I that I use a lot, and it is, what do I need right now? So I spend so much time thinking in my head, um, theorizing, philosophizing, writing, doing this kind of heavy, stuff, like heavy lifting. I work with trauma, forgiveness. I mean, you know, um, I, I uh, am a survivor of family members who've died of suicide. So I have uh, clients with traumatic loss. So it's really heavy stuff. And so when I get excited about Just Judy, that is my psyche saying, we need to let our awareness rest on something that is easy. And that doesn't take a lot of energy so that um, there can be a reset. And so, yeah.
0: (laughs) Very valuable. Yeah. You know, one of the things I admire about the composition of a show like Judge Judy (laughs) is, you know, you get... To a certain degree, emotionally invested in what's going on. Mm-hmm. This person said they were gonna fix my bike. I gave them three hundred dollars. They didn't fix my bike, or they used they used the wrong part, and my bike fell apart, and then I, I don't think I should give them the three. And you get involved in this and you form an opinion and you decide who should win. Should he get the money back? Should he keep the bike? Should it get dismissed? And once that's done, the announcer says, and now the next case. And now you're on to the next thing. You no longer have to think about that last right, one. Right. And it's just us it's such a smooth way, I think, of uh, of 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 shifting the viewer from story to story to story. Yeah. And it doesn't overload you. And to me, that's part of the charm of a show like that.
1: Right. And and also we can't talk about Judge Judy without talking about Bird. Can we just talk about Bird for a moment?
0: Bird is the man. <laughs> so Bird my, is the man. Bird's been doing it for, for the entire the time. The
1: entire time. And what I love, my favorite Bird move is the no look uh, document pass. So, like, someone will have the lease. <laughs> they'll, they'll have, like, this is the contract. And they try to come, acro- come around. And they're like, hey, hey, hey. And he will tell them, like, just stay there. You know, like, don't come around the table. And then right. he goes and he gets it. And he saunters over and he always does the no look pass. He will look away and put the document on her desk. He looks at it just to make sure, I guess, it's like not obscene or something that would be harmful. I don't know. He screens it and
0: then he just gets <laughs> right. no it. Right. has look. to pass the bird check.
1: And he doesn't look, he always looks away. And I'm like, that is his signature move.
0: Yes, that's his move. Yes, it is. He right. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm. noticing it now that you're saying it. He does that all the time. All the
1: time. All the time. So, bird, where if you're, if, if you are listening, just mad respect because he's made that his moment. Right. He fills that simple task with his full presence and intention. Because on a set, on a television set, you are standing around, right? That is most of the time you're standing around. As a bailiff, you just stand around. (laughs) And so here he is, and here the moment comes where there's a document, and he just takes his time, and he fills that moment up with such, oh, I don't know, there's something in, like, I watch him, right? I don't look away
2: when he's walking, (laughs)
0: Well, that's, but, but that's what a good, um, I feel like that's one of the things a good television performer does. You develop those catchphrases and those signature moves. And eventually you are identified by, by those television is a visual medium, Mm -hmm. you know? So in that way, he's doing his job perfectly. And what a role model for people who, who want to take pride in their work and who, you know, I remember when I was taking acting classes in high school, one of the pieces of advice I got from my instructor was actors act on. In silence, mm. meaning that an actor can have a line, an actor cannot have a line. And if you're an actor with no lines, you can make that part sing. By your body language, by what you put into it and it's not necessarily spoken. Sometimes it's it's, it's unheard that energy.
1: Well this is this is uh, in, interesting. So we have something in common. I trained as an actor in undergrad and then studied for three years in LA. I, you know I called those the Hollywood days. It was 25 years ago. but it is this idea about presence. And, and about actually being in the moment. So I find that a lot of what I learned about creativity and telling a story in a play actually applies to real life because the most compelling performances are those in which the, the artist is present, right? Um, and I, I just kind of jumped genres to performance art, but... <laughs>
0: That's um, all right. Yes. Well, Judge Judy's performance art, so that's okay. We're she, we're she still is. in the same we're she still is. in the same path.
1: She is. Oh, I just I I I am so happy you love Judge Judy. Oh, this is fantastic. That, I,
0: I, so something I real I'm sorry, and I'm I'm going to jump back to Judge okay. Judy for a second. Something I realized she has been on the air. For a quarter of a century.
1: forever. That
0: show has been on for 25 years. She is the highest paid woman in television. I think she's, if I'm not mistaken, and I might be mistaken, if she's not Oprah level, she is close to it. Listen,
1: she makes bank and she revels in it.
0: I mean, she
1: I I think that she must think sometimes when she talks about her longevity and her appeal and, and about her her richness, her wealth. She has this little glint in her eye, like how stupid are people that they're paying me this much money to do this. So of course I'm going to keep doing it. I mean, she's no fool, right?
0: No, (laughs) absolutely. She's not. And that is, I feel like one of the inside jokes in television. It's like, how silly is this? Can you believe we're doing this? I went to see, (laughs) I lived in Connecticut and for a season to save money on, uh, because the state of Connecticut was offering tax breaks to television productions that would move their facilities to Connecticut uh-huh. the Jerry Springer show oh, moved to my hometown <laughs> and for an entire season they taped the Jerry Springer show in Connecticut and so I went with my wife I went for the Thanksgiving special <laughs> and I'm not I've never really been like an enormous Fan of Jerry's, but like, like as I got older, I kind of appreciated him. Like, I liked his personality. So he takes questions from the audience before the show starts, and I asked him. I said, "What advice would you give to a person who's looking to do something similar to what you do for a living?" And he said, "Don't do it." <laughs> he said, "This is silly. This is a silly thing. Do not do it."
1: And once you do something like that, it's not like he could go back to being oh, the mayor of Cincinnati again.
0: Right. Once you're Jerry Springer, you are Jerry Springer. Right. Would, would, will anybody think of anything other than the talk show once they hear his name?
1: No, because his name became sort of like you can say, oh, it's like a Jerry Springer moment. I mean, he, he that his what he did and his genre and whatever that was, it became part of our lexicon to kind of mean like a train wreck. Right. Like this just absolute chaos and, and, oh, yeah. and like trashy fighting between people who have, you know, are just in complete... Um, autonomic nervous system activation and, you know, and, and then to put it on display, right? Basically, putting on display people at their absolute worst, right?
0: Yeah. Oh, his name as an adjective will never be a good thing. Oh, no,
1: no, no, no. <laughs>
0: but he knows it. And that's part of the piece, I'm sure, that he finds that having a job like that is he's, he's aware of it and he embraces it. Well, and
1: I'm sure he's sitting somewhere like quite comfortable and can afford, oh, yes. yeah, like, can oh, get yes. like organic kale at Whole Foods and not think twice if he's into you could, that.
0: <laughs> pr- you could probably buy the Whole Foods if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's my that's my line. Like, is that's my my judgment of like for me, enough is if I can um, keep myself flush in organic kale and and things like that. That's like being able to go to the grocery store and not sweat it out. I just think it's such a huge privilege. I just think that's an amazing, and and I just think that's enough, right? That's enough. I don't need more
0: than that. Absolutely. That's a solid marker (laughs) for personal, uh, you know, personal uh, what would be the word for that?
2: Oh, uh,
1: um,
0: you know, like a, I don't know why I'm losing my words here that so that I feel like that's a very solid marker for personal attainment, right you know what I mean right, for like having right. having what you need and having just what you need. Right. do you consider yourself a minimalist?
1: No, oh my gosh and this is so embarrassing because I I so I don't I don't know if you if you look people up before you talk to them but um, I have lived' I'm, I'm guess I'm part of the tiny house movement. So and that's I
0: did see that. I did see that on your so on your application, you did mention that. And my wife and, and by extension, I we've been fascinated with the idea of living in a tiny house for years and years and years. And so, so I'm excited to talk oh, about. That. Well,
1: I have lots to say about it. Uh, and I did it before it was cool. Like I did it like I, I'm 10 years in living in under 400 square feet. Um, total living space and most of that time spent in structures that were about seven and a half feet wide by 18 and a half feet long. And so, um, I am not, unfortunately, I'm not a minimalist. So, uh, but I do believe in, um, playing with this idea of how much is enough. So my journey to, to embracing the tiny house, um, kind of path came, and I don't know how, how old... Do you mind if I ask how old you are? This is.
0: I am 32 years old.
1: That is just beautiful. How does that feel? I'm, I'm getting off topic, but that is just such a great time in life. Are you enjoying it?
0: I am enjoying it. Good. I am enjoying the personal growth that i have made my wife will tell you i was a different person 10 years ago when she met me thank god and there were a lot of behaviors and a lot of mindsets that i had to break myself out of Mm -hmm. and i'm proud of the cycles that i've broken as a 32 year old man i'm different than i was and i can look back and see the difference that's what i'm most proud of and i'm really enjoying that that's amazing thank you very much
1: and and i i am very proud i'm 51 years old so um, I, I'm always on the Ask Old People Reddit subreddit. Okay. <laughs> I, like answer. And I think this is so cute that there are people who think I'm old because the thing is, is that when, once one is at 50, you realize how young it is actually. It's very, very young. It's not old at all. But, um, sure. I, I asked, I pose that question because I'm not, I was trying to think of what in hi- historically might be more present or relevant, uh, in, in your mindset. So, I was um, the, the Great Recession, right? So which kind of started in like, what, 08, 0, 06, 08, right, 08 right. 09. And so we, so my husband and I sort of won uh, won the rat race. <laughs> and uh, the day after Christmas in 2005 or 2006, I think, we moved into a house in Topanga Canyon, and it was like, oh, my gosh, like this is a really big deal. So and we had done it, right? Like, you know, we had done the thing. We got the stuff. And we actually bought less house than than um, we could have afforded, according to the, the scammers who were giving everyone a mortgage then. Um, we could have even bought more house. And then when the economy started to tank, you know, I looked at it. and I was like, oh, what's going to happen? Are we okay? And he was like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know what it's just the housing market is not going to, you know, crash the whole global economy. huh? Oh boy. And um and it did. So for people who don't remember back that far, it did. And I had this moment where we were we were thinking about our next move and we were speaking with our accountant and so he was saying, "You know, um I think that you should buy a duplex in Culver City and you should live on one side and rent out the other. And we kind of looked at each other, and we were like, eh, no, we're not doing that. And um, and nothing wrong with Culver City. It's a beautiful you know, place to live, but it was, there was something kind of just like, he wanted us to do that to get back in the in the wealth game, right, to get back to have the asset to refinance it, and then flip the house and then make the money, right? I mean, he wanted that for us because it's like his job, right to look sure. after our, our finances. Sure. And so around that time, so this is very early in the whole tiny house thing. Um, Jay Schaefer, who is or the modern, um, I don't know, the kind of pied piper of it had started tumbleweed tiny houses. And he was um, just kind of getting started. And it caught my attention. And and then at some point, I read that the Mortgage Brokers Association defaulted on their own office building. And we had been through like three rounds of trying to refi with Wells Fargo. And all of a sudden, I can't really tell you what happened, Christian. I just felt liberated. <laughs> and I said, "Can I, I can curse. Yes, I can curse. I heard it.
0: You can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> I,
1: I just I looked around and I was like, fuck
0: this house.
1: You know, I was like, fuck right. fuck this. This is this is ridiculous. We're sitting here thinking about how we could work harder to hold on to this house so I can pay Wells Fargo all this interest on this mortgage. And the mortgage brokers association defaulted on their own building because that was a, a great financial decision for them.
0: Right. So who are they? Exactly. Right. I
1: was enraged by the bailout, the bailouts that left, you know, folks just kinda high and dry. And um, I just thought to myself, I said, I am never gonna let a bank own the roof over my head again, ever in my life. And I started to uh, look at tiny houses and I um there w- there was a tiny house listing. So this was all just getting started, if you can even imagine back that far, because now they're just like all gone Hollywood and they're like really
0: huge. Like, oh, right. It's a big buzzword now. It's a, right. It's a,
1: they're like hundred thousand dollar tiny houses. Mm-hmm. I found this beautiful little shell of a tiny house that this really amazing man started building in um Sebastopol and I live down in LA and uh, uh and I had it was fifteen thousand five hundred dollars delivered from Sebastopol to this land I found um and so basically and I don't know how what how my husband decided to go along with this, but I started I said I'm gonna buy a piece of land. I was really naive and I'm going to put a tiny house on it and then I'll figure out what's next. So I started looking for land for sale by owner because we Gave our house back to Wells Fargo. So we had gone through the process of trying to refi, refi, refi. They lost our paperwork. It was such a sham. And um, so we just stopped paying the mortgage. We just stopped paying it. And it took them two years to default to to take the house back. So we took that money and we bought uh, 10 acres of land in the Santa Cruz Mountains that expanded over the eight, nine years since we've been here. And 10 years, I guess, almost and um and so i got this little tiny house and there was it was a shell there was nothing in it very little insulation the first night i spent there on the property it was freezing cold it was raining um i couldn't set my solar panels up because it was raining outside and it was it was just the most wonderful night <laughs> it was like i was wow, freezing because
0: cold. you were free I was you free. were cold but you were free i
1: was free And so slowly over time, we moved ourselves from uh, Topanga to uh, the Santa Cruz Mountains in a little town called Ben Lomans that I had never even heard of. So um, I, at the time, also started building a second tiny house, which sounds extravagant. But remember, like, (laughs) we were like the one percenters of the tiny houses because I had two. Um, Sure. Right. I, I, I found this one and I just kind of you know, impulsively bought it or I, you know, said yes to it because of the price and because I could afford it. And then I built one in the driveway of my house in Topanga. So people would walk past and they were like, oh, is that a shed? And I'd be like, no, I'm moving out of that house into this house. And they're like, what? (laughs) And half the people were like, okay. And then half the people were like, really? How are you doing that? And I was like, I'm just doing it. (laughs) <laughs> like I'm giving away right. all my shit and I'm gonna fit it in here. And the person we bought our land from, who was my wonderful firefighter neighbor, uh, he towed the one I built in the driveway from Topanga to the property. So we we had two uh eight foot by eighteen foot tiny houses and one was for sleeping and pooping <laughs> and and and, mm-hmm. and toilet, you know, the bathroom and the other one was our office. And our kitchen and our closet was also in there. So we were like 300 and something square feet, under 400.
0: Isn't that a great sound when you tell somebody that you live in a tiny house and they and they say, really? Mm-mm. It's almost like it just challenges every perception they have of what a home can be oh, and, yeah. and, and, and what you can own. Like, I can get away with owning a, a house this small? Yes. That, met, that, that few uh you know possessions yes
1: and and when you said that i just got chills i mean i just felt like chills up my spine And i think about how many times i would turn to my husband and i would say i love living in this little tiny house with you and he would say i love living in this little tiny house with you too and if you had told us in 2004 or 2005 that we would be able to see the rat race for what it was which now by the way um, people are doing. They're seeing through it, which is why van life and bus life and all these things are kind of just exploding is because right. people are no longer falling to go back to what you talked about, the hustle, and that you have to stay on this hustle for what? To pay a bank? I mean, it it, it really, once you start to think about it, it's almost laughable. So um, I am I'm a tiny house uh, person and I well, there's another part of the story I don't know if you know about because things kinda took a sad turn about a year ago. But
0: You had mentioned that now. and I do want to touch on that. So And we will. Okay. Because I because I do want to yes, talk about but that. But we don't
1: have to right now. Whenever you want to. I
0: I for a long time was under the now i'm learning misguided assumption that buddhism and minimalism go hand in hand and they don't necessarily go hand in hand do they
1: they they don't um necessarily although they are quite complementary and i see why people make that connection so when i say i'm not a minimalist what i'm and i'm looking at my room right now um is that i i if you think of like the kind of zen so i'm i'm a i'm i'm um i'm an ordained lay buddhist in the soto zen tradition and have been since 2009 and i've been practicing buddhism since 1996 um and so it's a very austere and minimal tradition so it's the japanese and vietnamese traditions of of zen in china chan and so you think of just very few possessions um uh wabi-sabi like just enough right so i see why they um are so complementary and why and i don't think it's a mistake to conflate them but i can see if we think about zen buddhism and minimalism in that kind of imagery it makes a lot of sense um and and then there is just the whole piece about not grasping and not clinging and impermanence, um, which has been a big teaching in my life the last year. Um, uh, so, yes, I can see how they might go together. Um, but you don't have to be a minimalist to be Buddhist. I'm proof. And I have all kinds of papers and uh, like lineage things that say I get to say that. So if you are a Buddhist, you want to be Buddhist and you have a lot of clutter, that's okay.
0: <laughs> what what influences in your life? What experiences, if any, could you maybe point to and identify as uh, circumstances that brought you towards Buddhism? Oh. Because you haven't been Buddhist in your entire life. Are no. you, uh, you adopted it sort of later in life?
1: Yes. Oh, I was raised in a black church. Uh, you know, the full on singing, uh, shouting, dancing in the Holy Ghost. Um, all of that, right? fire and brimstone. I went to a very conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist Christian school. And I want to say this about that, is that I had very profound um, experiences with what we categorize, what some people categorize as the divine, Um, a very innocent and beautiful connection with what I would now call our beyond self or a transpersonal um, realm or experience. Um, and, 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 and we can access that through the awe of nature if one is atheist or agnostic, right? Or perhaps it's within the container of a religion. So I don't want to degrade that experience because I did have very meaningful encounters with presence, with feeling um, comforted, um, and whether or not that was generated by myself and my imagination, that, that really doesn't matter because it made me feel better, right? It helped me get through sure. some tough times, um, which is sometimes people, you know, want to be so accurate about a, an experience that is so subjective that they miss the point is if it's working and you're not hurting anyone, then, you know, what, <laughs> then go for it. So... um, so I, I I had those experiences and then I had this experience when I was 11 and I was in, uh, in school and we had chapel every Wednesday and the regular person uh, who didn't show up. And so our assistant principal sort of led this chapel service, which was like a small church service, kind of at the spur of the moment. And it was right after the assassination of Anwar Sadat. So now I know I'm going back way far that you won't have like a a real time historical reference for this.
0: Um, not real time. I watch a lot of Jeopardy, so I kind of know when that go. was. Right. So it but... was
1: about 1981 or so. That's
0: why I was, was going to say 1980. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was um, I was I was close. Yeah.
1: And and I didn't and so this is I didn't understand because of the way I was taught. I didn't understand that there was anything other like right? it's like well there's Christians and then there's like who uh, like people who aren't saved, right? I didn't understand <laughs> that there were these long established religious traditions and so I didn't know why. And I was only like, I was 11. Um, I don't know why, but when he was assassinated, I felt so sad because I had this image that I had seen on television. And uh, remember, I have no, what is the Middle East? I did not know. Right? Sure. Ongoing con- You're 11 years old. I, I had no no context for that. I'm in Dayton, Ohio, right? Um, right. And so, but I saw the image of Jimmy Carter, Menachem Begin, and Ann Marcedat shaking hands. And I thought, that seems like that's a good thing, right? It just seems like everybody seems happy about this peace, right, that's happening. Sure. And peace is good. It says it in the Bible, right? You know, like, right. and so I was saddened by his assassination and I didn't understand it. Um I had this terrible habit of staying up very late at night and watching Saturday Night Live and then an evening at the Improv um in the wee hours of the night. I don't know why my parents Oh,
0: that was the good years though. Ooh, I don't know
1: why my parents. Those were the me good years. That. Why did they let uh-huh. me do that? It was awful. So, at some point I think it was Saturday Night Live had a an homage to him and it showed someone sort of cleaning up a, a bandstand, and 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 then it showed like a dove with like a bullet hole in it, and that this person was kind of cleaning up and mourning this death, and um and so and I should try to find out the source for that, but I saw this, and again, it just added to my sense of sadness for this happening. So I'm in this chapel, and the 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 um the assistant principal um lays out a Bible verse. Uh, I'm the way, the truth and light. No man cometh to the Father, but by me. So Christ is the only way to God and the divine. And then he started rattling off like so and so is in hell. Right. And he starts going through these names. And at the time, Christian, Anwar Sadat was being honored as a martyr. So he was getting all of this sort of posthumous, really positive attention. And then he's going down this list of people and he goes, and I will never forget the look on his face. And he goes, Anwar Sadat is in hell. And instantly there was a knowing and it was, I'm going to call it a voice that was not my own, but was within. So I wasn't having an auditory hallucination. And it was like, you know me, that's not who I am. And that was really the beginning of my curiosity about finding out what there was outside of that container of Christianity, because I had had these sincere experiences, these really sweet experiences of offering my like childlike prayers. Right. And, and I had chaotic, chaotic household. So it was this, it was a source of comfort. And, and in that moment, when I saw the hatred in that man's face and coupled with this odd affinity, I felt in this odd, you know, I just felt sad that this, this man had been assassinated. It didn't seem like it was a good thing. And and when he said he was in hell and he was saying that because he was Muslim, right? Which I didn't even know that was a thing at the time. Um, I could, you know, and, and it just instantly, it was like, you know, me, that's not who I am it's like, i got to figure out who this is, right? So wow. I, I was very young when I started to um, kind of figure out that there was more to it than I was being told. And yeah.
0: <laughs> what, one of the things that fascinates me about that story is the sense of compassion you as an 11-year-old girl had. To see that image that you describe with the three leaders shaking mm-hmm. hands and to and to identify that as a show of peace mm-hmm. and a show of positivity, I feel like that indicates a huge sense of compassion, a huge heart. Were you raised with compassion being at the forefront was that a was that a huge core value that that you had learned growing up? My
1: goodness, no. <laughs> not raised in a compassionate household at all. And I think that when we are immersed in um, a lack of something, that sometimes we develop it for ourselves to survive. And so I have always been moved by animals and people in need. As a matter of fact, one time my, my daddy um, and my parents are both passed, passed on. I was with both of them when they died. Um, and uh, I was going to move to this neighborhood in LA that had a lot of people unsheltered people staying in tents and things and he was like uh uh-uh, uh you can't move here cuz if you move here you'll have all those people up in your apartment <laughs> and trying to feed them and everything so even though he was very you know he was he was ornery um with good reason with good reason he he yeah, sure. he he was drafted during the Vietnam war he had so much going on so but he even knew that i was you know had this kind of sense of compassion and that's what's so fascinating to me. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm an agnostic Buddhist. So um, I don't, would not ever say I literally believe in rebirth. But I like thinking about it. I mean, it's kind of a fun idea. And I like the idea that I get like multiple shots at getting something right. (laughs) Um, But when I think about that and I think about the story and I think about the other pieces of my life that have fallen into place and the people I've come to know, I go, yeah, I could kind of believe that. That somehow I was this little, I don't know, I was on a path, even though I was placed in this very unlikely setting, you know, in Dayton, Ohio, you know, black suburb. Um, in the
0: seventies, right? Amazing. It's a, it's amazing how different circumstances, you know, or circumstances that seem different on their face add up to a sum total that is completely unrecognizable from its parts. Mm -hmm. Yes. Humans are amazing. Yes, we are. In that you can develop that sense of compassion From nothing, you know, like you said, you weren't raised in a in a in a compassionate household. So to you know to have that in your heart, I mean, you know, humans are incredible, aren't they?
1: And you know what, I will say this when you when you pose that question, because it sounds like I'm saying yeah, like I was a little bodhisattva just like landed. But I will say this is that. The part of my the Christianity piece of my upbringing and the indoctrination, right? There to to not, you know, that's what it was. There was compassion in that, right? So there was this notion that I was loved, and that I was um, worthy of this gift of salvation. Right. Or that I actually wasn't worthy, but I got to have the gift anyway. So so I think that maybe there was some something about the the parables of Jesus and the idea of um you know, one of my one of my favorite passages was, you know, pointing out, uh, you know, you fed me, you visited me in prison and you gave me water when I was thirsty. And they're like, We didn't do that And it's like, Well, if you did it for the least of these my my brethren, you've done it for me. So those pieces, I think, um, probably, I should, I should give some credit where credit is due, planted those seeds of, um, well, first of all, it's a really incredible story because it suggests the beyond self, right? It suggests that here is um, Jesus saying, no, when you do it for somebody else, you're doing it for me. And so that's very Buddhist. Right,
0: that someone's prosperity yeah. is related to your prosperity. And it's very
1: Buddhist. What he's saying right there is very Buddhist. He's basically saying there's no separation between us. Right. right, and so that that actually, oh, I just got a little excited because I've never put that together. Thank you, Christian. I think that that is actually probably one of the seeds right that sprouted into what I believe now, yeah,
0: that's fascinating, wow. that's fascinating. Oh my
1: gosh, you just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, don't mention it. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh! Like wow, I never really contextualized it that way because that's what he was. that I mean, if you look at a lot of those things, that he's saying, like, "There's only one of us," like that's me, right? So don't mistreat that person of there. Love, love your neighbor like you love yourself. You're you're the same. There's no separation.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And I think regardless of your religious beliefs, there are so many lessons to be yes. learned from parables yes, like that. Yes. You love everybody the way you love yourself. And if more people internalize that lesson, maybe we'd have a lot less struggle out there Ooh. right
1: now. Let me tell Can I tell you what I think is happening with that? <laughs>
0: Sure, you, please do. You know do. what
1: it is, is we focus on that part that says, love your neighbor as yourself. The first part is, love the Lord thy God with all thine heart. See, they they just got me. Can you tell? I, all, I still have this in me, these verses in me. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 and then it is, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so we focus on, oh, you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And it's like, yes, they are, because they don't have that self-compassion and love for themselves. So when you see somebody... Mistreating another person, dehumanizing someone else, they are offering a reflection of how they hold themselves. They are loving their neighbor as they love themselves. It's just that they're absent that deep regard for themselves, especially in Christianity, because there's this thread of worthlessness, like I'm a worthless sinner in it, and that, that can be very detrimental. Right.
0: Yeah, the fact that we've all have sinned and fallen short of yes. the glory. <laughs> right. Yes.
1: So, but that's what I think is happening. I think that people don't don't see themselves for who they really are. Um, in in yoga, there's this idea of it's really easy to, in yogic philosophy. It's easy to misidentify the self with one's thoughts, behaviors, emotions, beliefs, and ideologies. So that where we are now is if someone starts to criticize your opinion or your belief, instead of saying, Oh, you are disagreeing with something I believe, we take it to, you are, to, to be you are disagreeing with who I am. But see, we're not our thoughts. We're not our emotions. We're not our bodies. We're not our beliefs or our behavior. Right, and when you misidentify the self with those pieces, those aspects of being, then it makes sense that people just go crazy when you say, you know, something that is against their religion or politics or beliefs. Right? So, don't even get me started.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm fast. I know. <laughs> Forty five minutes I'm in, so don't get started. me started. <laughs> I'm already gone. Um. Not. To shift gears too suddenly, Go for it. but you mentioned a while ago that there was a relatively sad event within the past year that has uh, sort of forced you to see things in a different way, and I'd love to hear about that.
1: Ooh, brother! <laughs> I'm laughing, and I'm so glad because I knew I knew I was going to. We were probably talk about this, and so it's um, it is. Uh, it is new terrain for me. So um, I mentioned that I was with both of my parents when they died, and uh, took care of them as they kind of got were ill. And so the terrain of grief from losing a loved one is terrain that I know. And I walk that terrain with other people. Um, And so I feel like I got grief and loss down, right? Like, come on, right, I got this. And then, um, interestingly enough, um, the weekend that I was supposed to be leading my first national retreat, which had been postponed due to COVID already, um, was the weekend of the CZU lightning complex fire. And it was a wildfire that started and we're coming up on the year anniversary and, and in the wake of this, uh, um, I lost both of my tiny houses, um, all of the infrastructure that we had spent like eight years building. Um, water tanks, we dropped electricity to the property. I lost everything except pretty much what I could fit on the back seat of my car. Um, and I obviously I did not lose my life, which would have could have easily happened. Right. And I who it has been a year of teaching because the terrain and the scope of this loss is hard to put into words. I'm I'm in awe of how hard it has been. I thought that by now I would be just like, you know, <laughs> right? like I got this. I processed this. I've integrated this and I'm moving on. But it is, it's, that is not how it's unfolding. It is, um, it is, it's something because people say, well, you know, the most important thing is your life and your dog and your husband, and that was just your stuff. But when you live in a tiny house, every object in my home was part of my story. So my daddy's toolbox, he was a tool and die maker. He was one of the first black tool and die makers at General Motors. And he was so proud of that, that he became a skilled tradesman. And he had this wonderful toolbox. And in one little drawer was a shrine to my mother and I. It was like pictures and like, oh, like little things from our life that he kept there at his workbench for 40 years. He worked for GM. And so that was destroyed. Right. Um, my, my birth mother died of suicide and I had these objects that belonged to her, like the last cup of co- the last cup she drank coffee out of that was in a spot. I had, um, feathers and, and gifts. Oh, in my LA days, like jewelry from like various and sundry lovers and boyfriends, right? That I could look and say, oh, I remember that era of my life, right? So to have all those stories melt, and I mean melt, Christian, there was nothing left. I had two cast iron skillets and like one pair of earrings that sort of got lodged in this teacup. And so they they, they just burned the outside of the, the, the box they were in. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to sift through the ashes and I'll find like my jewelry and I'll find like my grandmother's, you know, wedding ring. It was all gone. And it is so humbling to start at 51. To, well, I was 50 then but to just start over. I mean, two pairs of shoes. Um, I, I'm not really big when wearing underwear anyway, but like, just like, you know, like one pair of panties, you know, um, everything, everything. Shirts. Uh, uh, I, I have long dreadlocks. So like head wraps and things I had collected all of it gone. And um, it, it was lightning. So it wasn't an arsonist. And I lived, this is kind of important to the story, but I lived down a dirt road in these tiny houses. And over the decade or so that we had been there, I had um, lucked into being able to add more forest to where I lived. And so through various sets of circumstances, it, it became like a 60-acre, almost 70-acre parcel of land. And 45 of that was a timber lot that i um that i was offered i was given the opportunity to, to buy it through a personal loan to save this one old growth tree <laughs> and i'm living in a tiny house right and and so i went for it we went for it because i knew i wanted to put this parcel into a conservation easement to keep it from being harvested again because it was a timber production zone so i'm in these tiny houses way back in the woods living this magical life and so you know, I thought I had won when I got the million point two whatever house in Topanga, but really, I would win because I'd wake up every morning. I was in the forest. I was in my little tiny houses. My shower was in a greenhouse. My business was a ten minute drive down the down the mountain. I loved my job. I loved my community. It was so fantastic, and then it was all gone. It was all gone. All of it.
0: How does a person pick up the pieces after something like that occurs? Was there, you know, were there moments of 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 comfort in that process? Were there were there struggles? Was, was there ever a moment where you said, "Why me? Why this? Why now?"
2: Well, you
1: know, at first, <laughs> and this is interesting, and I want to apologize because. You you are posing such potent questions. I just want to acknowledge that. And um, I want to thank you because you're you're posing them in a way that I'm thinking about some things for the first time in a very particular way. But because of my background, right? So like Miss Buddhist, Miss Yoga Studio Owner, Miss Psychotherapy, you know, 2020, you know, it was because sure. of all of those things, I had the tools to... Let my highest self have what I would call the 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 best response. So my best response and how I actually do hold it, is that the forest needed that fire. and that the fire fire is is as much a part of that of of what I was risking by living there. I understood that. and that in the long run, um, looking beyond my lifetime, there's a a way in which that that fire brought the forest back into balance because it was really out of balance because it had been clear cut and right what grew after was kind of choking out the redwoods and so my work was all about trying to figure out how to get that forest healthy and I I remember thinking oh that's going to take me like my whole life like I could work on this for the next 20 years and then boom the fire and it's done. Like all of the fuel, all of the trees that were choking out the redwoods—they're gone. You know, the 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 the, pl- the trees that were planted, that grew when the canopy of the redwoods was destroyed, right? Those are all gone. So I knew that and felt that and still feel that. And it's a hard thing to say because I don't want to hurt anyone who lost their home. Um, and so that is my—that was kind of my first response. So I'm, I'm proud of that. That was like my highest self it was like the forest needed this fire. And then I thought of all the people I know, I would choose to have this happen because I think I have the skills to move through this and work through this. And so that was kind of my secondary response. And so my reaction while we were evacuated, I was holding meditations online, for people who were waiting and to see whether or not their houses were gone. So once I knew that my property was gone, I that day I put out um, um, you know a, a, an email and an announcement and I had fire, my first fire practice meditation. So there were people who were just so upset because they didn't know. They could see the line. You can see the maps. You're wondering if you're going to have a house to go back to. And I was sitting there in the in my hotel, evacuated and leading meditation. I mean, I was just like, right, I'm, I'm going to ace this test. Right. It's like I got this. And so that was kind of like my first response. And then I think that, again, um, I, I did those things because that's what I do. That's what I do for people. But then the grief and the loss started to get into this unknown terrain because rebuilding is such a mystery. It is not a straight line um it is it is and I still don't have all the answers. I'm building a tiny house on a shuttle bus right now, but that's what I was doing when I got your email about the time um
0: but oh yes is that what you were doing yes wow. I
1: was I was fighting with insulation and trying to figure out this this insulation <laughs> that I have but so but I think that's what it is is that it's a it's an unknown unknown. So when you ask like how do you rebuild? My first instinct was to do what I do and at times when I'm feeling low and I'm feeling exhausted um, and I'm just feeling like um, I don't want to open my yoga studio again, I'm still closed because of COVID um, for live classes and, um, you know, I, I just, I'm just waiting and I'm, I'm waiting for the signs. I'm waiting for that clear moment that came when I was 11 that said, you know me, that's not who I am. I'm waiting for that inner guidance to say this, this way. But right now, Christian, it does feel a lot like I'm kind of wandering. <laughs> um, I'm working on my bus. I know I want to live in a tiny house. I can rebuild a tiny house on a foundation on my property, which is something that's changed. And the county is very supportive of that. But that takes money. (laughs) And, um, and I was very contented, right? So I had like a profitable business, I had just enough. And so I'm faced with this choice of like, Oh, I really kind of got to grow things if I want to build my whopping 400 square foot dream home. Um, And I'm not sure I want to do that. Right. So I'm working on this bus. My husband is fantastic. He never cried once, like he's just been like, Oh, okay, he's a lot older than I am. And um, so I accept it. And I think that what I feel most led to do is to relate how what happened to me is, first of all, directly related to climate change. Um, It is not hard to draw that line at all. And so there's something brewing here. You know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, everything got burnt down. So now what's left? And that process is taking longer than I thought. <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm doing what I guess another human would do in trying to relate it to my situation. Mm-hmm. I try to identify how I would handle a situation like that. I'm 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 looking around at the things that I own and it's not a whole lot, but I would I would tend to feel lost without you know, without these things. So I'm just I'm 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 amazed At the resilience and I'm amazed at the energy and the drive and the the ability to at least begin picking up the pieces because some people wouldn't even have that. You know,
1: no, and I know that there are people who are hurting, and we see this has now happened, so now my fire, my wildfire is old news, right, because now we have a new fire that is now the largest wildfire in California history, and wildfire wildfires in Greece um and so there's an adjustment, which is I I first when I was planning my rebuild, it was like I'm gonna get containers and I'm gonna like shut the doors if a fire comes, and I was looking at like Australian bushfire, like they know how to handle things, and I was doing like, you know trying to figure out how I was gonna do it, and I realized, you know, I can't fire. I have I have to adapt, right? That's what we all are doing right now, right? Is because of the pandemic, because of how much our world is changing, there is this longing for things to get back, like for people to get their sense back in their head and for things to kind of go back. But really everything around us is calling on us to adapt. So I changed my strategy and I said, I now have to recognize if I stay on this land and I love this land. Oh, Christian, it fell into my lap. It was such a gift. I mean, who gets to live in a redwood forest? That's like a fairy tale, right? And when I say red, very fortunate. I mean, okay. And so when I was in my little tiny house, I felt like I am one of the most fortunate people on this earth. I love my work. I love where I live. I wake up every morning. I have this relationship with these trees. Um, the redwoods on on the parcel are going to make it, probably 90% of them. The other species, the doug fir, the madrone, the tan oak, um, 90% of them are dead and dying. So I have this tremendous cleanup that I have to do. Um, And and so I just was living this magical life. And uh, my husband makes me coffee every morning and brings it to me and puts it by my bed. (laughs) It's like I just am living the dream.
0: What else could you want? What else could you need? What
1: else? What else? And so... And I, like I mentioned, I was starting to, like I was about to lead a national retreat um, on uh, uh, trauma, boundaries, compassion, and forgiveness. And so I was going to do this, you know, teach this retreat and it was, oh, it was just everything was just like fantastic. And, um, but I feel like the pause and is um, because there's always two stories, right? there is the is the content so the content is me saying okay i lost everything and the two you know the two cast iron skillets and the earrings and and just my shock at how how just how hot and how it just took everything right because you think of a fire and you see people finding stuff there wasn't anything right um a ganesha statue um survived and it was really interesting um, and my firefighter friend who sold me the property, let me know that it made it. And that was such a great sign, right? So there's sure. the content, but then there's also the teaching. There's also, um, there's a book called Women Who Run With the Wolves, um, by Clarissa Picola Estes. And she talks about El Rio Abajo Rio is the river beneath the river. And so when we start to be curious about the process and the river beneath the river and the teaching, like what, what is this pointing me toward? What is this showing me about myself? What, Where is this leading me? Um, I know what I want to do next, but where is this urging me to go? Because every time I have ever been burnt down metaphorically, whatever I built in the wake of that was always more what I needed. And now that I have actually literally been burnt down, I have to wait and, and remember that every time I've had challenge, obstacles, loss. My direction changed. I got a divorce. You know, I, you know, lost this job. I, you know, got myself in this dumb situation. Uh, Whatever came after when I practiced kind of a surrender um, was just perfect for me. It was a much better fit than anything I ever could have come up with on my own. So that's where I am. I'm just kind of waiting Right. To see what it's going to be. But I think it's about adaptation and, um, and not seeing fire, drought, and what else are we dealing with? Um, what other apocalyptic things? Fire, drought, uh, heat, (laughs)
0: pandemics. (laughs) Oh, heat. Oh, in this room, it's a drought right now. Oh, I'm telling you. But
1: to start to see these things as, um, these are now, um, teachers on my journey. So I have to adapt to fire if I'm going to stay on the land. And like I mentioned, I just love, I mean, I had a relationship with these trees um, and felt awful that I left them. When I saw them and how burned they were, I still, I can, it's hard for me to go back there because I felt like I abandoned them. Um, And so I, 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 I have decided to stay on the land and to go back and to rebuild. And I, I'm no longer thinking, okay, a shipping container with metal, and I'm gonna, you know, it's like, no, I'm gonna rebuild a home and to the best of my ability, have it be my private space and recognize that fire is my neighbor and it's gonna come through from time to time. And I just, you know, <laughs> have to try to put that into my consciousness, um, like mountain lions. So there are mountain lions all around that forest. And I have had, you know, interesting encounters. And, and that just became part of what I had to be aware of. And that was you a know, really nice feeling to not be like the apex predator in your environment. Um,
0: <laughs> I I have to tell you, yes. I am in total admiration <laughs> of your outlook on this situation because I think that where a lot of people might find anger and might find frustration and feelings of unfairness and, uh, you know, this is, you know, what, why did this happen to me? I, I did everything I could to I think to take a situation like that and it's really one of the things that amazes me about the people that I've talked to for this show as a whole there's this general idea of resilience and of you know taking negative what could be perceived as a negative situation and. Finding the good in it, finding the positive in it, finding the hope in it—I am just in total admiration of your outlook on on on, on this situation. It, it's 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 beyond my comprehension. I, it's unbelievable. I appreciate that.
1: Well, you know, this is—I feel this impulse to ask you a question.
0: <laughs> please do. Please so please do. you
1: heard me going on and on as auntie juco sometimes does
0: <laughs> and i and i loved um, it
1: you know about the el rio Abajo rio and the, there's the content and there's a the process there's what seems to be happening on the surface and there's what's really happening underneath so you are because you started this in april of last year you said
0: I, april yeah like uh, uh, late april early may of so last so it was right.
1: after things started to shut down right Right. It was. And so something in you was like, I want to connect people or something. I don't know. I don't exactly know. But so what do you sense is happening in your river beneath the river? Like where, what, what is, what's going on with this? I mean, we're sitting here strangers talking and that's fine. It's lovely. But I am so interested in um, what your psyche is up to and like what the undercurrent is for this and what this is like showing you and where you sense it's taking you and what you're learning.
0: Well, I'll tell you what the impetus was behind me starting this thing. I have wanted to work in broadcasting my entire life. I've always wanted to be either in radio or on television to some capacity. I grew up idolizing the people that I saw on TV. My father was a uh, was a high school art teacher. He was out during the day and I was home with my mom and my mom watched a lot of TV while she was home. And that was what was on TV. It was game shows and soap operas and more game shows in the afternoon. And so for better or for worse, I started to internalize the commonalities between the different personalities I watched on TV. And as I grew up, I said, hmm, I think I want to wear a suit. I think I want to dress nice, take pride in the way I look, take pride in the way that I communicate. I want to always have the right thing to say. I want to listen actively. I want to get funny things. Out of people who aren't funny I want to create those Mm -hmm. moments I want to do that in my everyday life And so my dream was always to work in broadcasting And when the pandemic hit I was working in hospitality I'd gotten laid off from my job At one of the biggest I was the assistant manager Of the largest hotel in this area I'm in Lancaster, Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania It's very very. Tourism based. A lot of people come to see the, the Amish and you know try the food and do the shopping and all that. So I was I was the assistant manager of a big hotel. I got laid off. Um, I was actually at the front desk the moment quote in quotes the moment covid hit and just hundreds of calls people cancelling events canceling weddings canceling reservations just flooded us and I knew that our my life from a professional standpoint was about to change and uh, and and two weeks later it did and I was home with my wife from April to about July or August in that um, in that moment I sensed the opportunity to do what I've always wanted to do with my life on my own terms. And I said, fuck it. I'm a broadcaster (laughs) Mm -hmm. now. I I have a microphone. I have a laptop. I know how to upload audio. I know how to edit audio. I have been practicing my entire life listening actively. And working in hospitality Mm -hmm. helps that as well, because when, uh, when a guest complains to you, there is always... A complaint underneath what what does that person really need what does that person really want and so in that way i feel like i've indirectly prepared for this kind of thing through the work that i've been doing for the past six years and so i went for it and i spent 40 bucks and i bought a bunch of foam on amazon and i gutted my closet and i put it all up in the walls and i put out a form on reddit and i asked people to fill it out i said i am just looking for people to talk to wow and i wasn't sure that was going to work i really wasn't sure that it was um I wasn't sure that I was going to get the kind of person that I was looking for, and when I say the kind of person I was looking for, I mean a regular mm-hmm. person. I wanted somebody who wasn't interested in becoming famous. I didn't want to talk to influencers. I didn't want to talk to celebrities. I didn't want to talk to people who had movies to promote or you know it, you know things like that. I wanted people that I could relate to. I wanted the kind of people that I was meeting at work mm. because I couldn't go to work anymore, and that's and you know that's what I missed. Um, and then and then I started doing it. And I have met and talked to people from all over the world at this point. It has to have been from about 30 or 40 different countries. Almost every state in America I've talked to somebody. And one of the commonalities I've noticed between all those people is that everybody loves talking about Mm -hmm. themselves, which is great. Because you're supposed to be able to talk about yourself. You are... The the biggest subject, you know, you know what I mean? I don't know any I don't know more about anything than I do about myself and I can talk about myself, you know, you know, uh, for hours. And so I've noticed that people love doing that. I also noticed that there was never really an outlet to do that anymore. Um, It's very hard to have a conversation the way we're having right now. For instance, I have not been on the phone for longer than five minutes in what feels like Mm -hmm. years. And so reactivating that part of my brain and getting into that mindset where I'm not only listening to the experiences that this person is sharing, but in the back of my mind, I'm also thinking of what questions should I ask? What, what, what does this person want to talk about? More. What do they want to expand on? What do they want to ask me? And just kind of running the show in the back of my head, but also paying attention to the conversation at hand has been greatly beneficial for me. It's helped me in my personal life. I'm a better, I am a better listener now than I was a year ago. My <laughs> wife and I, when we argue, and we argue rarely, but when we do, they are different. Because I am listening to what she's saying, I'm not only concerned with the words coming out of me. I want to hear what she has to say, and and they, they just happen differently. Um, so those are just some wow. of the ways in which this thing has enriched wow. me, um, and I, I never would have thought that it would have this kind of effect. Because I literally just bought a microphone and a box of foam and said, "I'm gonna ma- I'm gonna make a show." Um, and you
1: just and you followed you followed the impulse.
0: You
2: you
1: said yes to this thing that arose in you, right? That just bubbled up, and instead of going, ah, you just you, wow. And the lines. I'm just imagining you as a little kid, like watching the game show. When you said you wanted to wear a suit, I thought about Bob Barker. (laughs) You know, that's. um,
0: I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anybody on this show. My first words as an infant were Bob Barker. And my father, who is an artist, painted a picture of me and in a very calligraphy kind of style wrote Bob Barker above me. He has the drawing at home somewhere, but that's the first drawing he ever did of me. I must have been maybe like a month old, two months old. That is so
1: sweet,
0: isn't it? And that, yeah, that is is that kind of entertainment. Is the reason why I've done everything I do. Well,
1: and you know, you know, we sometimes it's easy to like uh, say, "Oh, that's enter- in inter- and it is entertaining, and to and to, especially if you talk about game shows and things like that, to put that aside and and say that it doesn't have cultural significance. But as you were speaking, and I was thinking about Bob Barker in the suit and you wanting to be in a suit, it's like is fulfilling this really important role in our culture that is engaging with not really high stakes per se, right, a game show, right? It's, you're allowed to be excited over like kind of silly stuff on a game show, right? It's like a toaster, oh my gosh, right? You're you're allowed to just um, be like unedited in the play of it, right? And so it's just, man, I had not thought of that. And so I just think that's amazing.
0: And that's one of the things that I tried to capture doing this as well because game shows were always a celebration of regular Mm -hmm. people. You know, at their best, they were people off the street back in the day in the 50s 60s 70s they would literally pull people off the street to be on the show you'd have women in their curlers on a damn game show winning 50 bucks and they were excited beyond excited it was always a celebration of regular people what regular people know what they can do what they can achieve and so in that way i tried to capture what i liked from a human standpoint about that kind of entertainment
1: right And so when you said that you know yourself better than any other subject that you can think of, who is that self that you know so well?
0: That is a very complex answer, and that is an answer that has evolved over time, but I feel like it changes from year to year. I'm on this sort of, and I tell my wife, I'm on this sort of uh, slash and burn policy when it comes to me, where as I go on, I'm constantly apologizing for the last five Mm -hmm. years of me (laughs) because I am, uh, I'm I'm my own worst critic and I am always looking to improve. Um, But as far as who I am, I think that, I'm a person who and I can't tell if it's enjoyment or an actual mm. need, but I enjoy people. I enjoy talking to people, getting to know people, meeting people, that first impression. I think that it's I think that it's what led me to a career in hospitality. I think that's what led me to doing what I'm doing right now with my mm-hmm. microphone at home. Um, I think that it is a guiding force behind a lot of the things that I do. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things that I've, um, and I've discussed it in the past on here, but to a certain degree, I feel like everybody has a role in life yes. and I don't know if it's something that's preordained or something that you're born with, but at, 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 at least at some point in everybody's life of, a, a, a role becomes apparent. Everybody has their purpose. My purpose has always been, in my opinion, um, to to listen and to engage and to seek answers and to give of myself in the effort to get other people to talk about themselves. I'm a, I'm a facilitator of those conversations. And I've noticed that throughout my entire life that I've always been the person that people – talk to people confide in there are some people that you can just look at them and tell that you you can tell this person anything for some reason and i don't know what it is about me it might be because i have really big (laughs) (laughs) earlobes but people talk to me people open up to me and i am very um i'm very cognizant of the level of trust that that takes because i am not a person who Will one hundred percent open up to anybody who asks right, right. away? Right. You know, it it takes a little bit, but but I've just always noticed that that is um, that that's something in my life that people talk to me and people open up to me, and people confide in me. Yeah. Um, and so to be able to use that for what I consider to mm-hmm. be good, I think that this is a a, a worthwhile force in the world right, right. now. Um, you know, I, I've been able to meet people that I would have never been able to meet otherwise, um, and it definitely fulfilled that need that I had to have that face to face, and if not it, literally face to face, voice to voice engagement with people. Um, yeah, yeah. I think I, I I think I'm I think I'm a people yeah. person at at. At you know, at my core, and there's a lot of little influences that added up to that, but uh,
1: Barker among well, it, it's also it seems that we are we are living in quite uncivil times um, and uh, kind of immersed in adrenaline saturated responses to everything and each other. and we are really in a state it feels like of great separation. Um, I mean, I've been alive, I, I'm going to say I'm 50 years old, 51 years old, and I've never lived in such potent, um, palpably difficult times. And so what is what fascinates me and what arises is that in the middle of all of this, you are connecting and affirming like the best parts of humans, right? The best parts of everyday people right and and just bringing that out and that is just really something else i mean yeah.
0: i remember when i first started doing it last year one of the feelings that I had talking to all these people because there was nothing in common between the people that I talked to other than the fact that I didn't know them. But I was talking to supermarket workers from Scotland. I talked to a sex worker from Sweden. I talked to a tour guide from Las Vegas and just, you know, and and again, the only common thread in there is that I didn't know who these people were. But there was always a point in each conversation where I felt like I was reaching out and holding that Mm -hmm. person's hand, where I felt like there was... And maybe it's because I was home for so long, but I felt it was just really powerful. It was just a really bad, and I don't know why I'm was getting just emotional. I about right to now, say but... <laughs> that it
1: sounds like you have some, some emotion that's bubbling up there when you said the word powerful. Yeah.
0: Oh boy. Excuse me for a minute. <laughs> no,
1: no. I think it's beautiful. It's so real. I, I'm so, I mean, I'm so appreciative that you would. Um let
2: me
0: be a part of this moment with you. Wow. Yeah, it's just um it's what I've always wanted to do and I've never been closer to that than I am doing this yeah. now.
2: Yeah.
1: On your own terms, you said.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm this just yeah. me. It's just me doing this. And, you know, um, being being home and being in lockdown was I look back on it as as a very um, emotionally and creatively sort of fruitful time because we had just, um, you know, my wife had just lost her dad back in November of twenty nineteen. And because of the timing of everything, it was like, you know, he passed away in November. We moved out of the house that, you know, we lived with her parents. We were taking care of them. We we, we moved out of that house in December. Her mom moved to, you know, moved to New York. And we moved to the other side of the city here in Lancaster. And it just felt like the world began changing when he passed away. And so being in lockdown felt like we finally had the chance to mm-hmm. stop and appreciate what we had around us and you know we had just moved into this apartment and we were just running and running and running and running and you know g- going to work coming home making dinner going to bed and just that on repeat for weeks and weeks at a time and it, it was a great opportunity to get to know our life mm-hmm. again in a way but it was also yeah. scary those were scary oh, times yeah. Yeah. um and you know not uh, facing a certain future when it came to what I was doing professionally. I mean, I didn't know if I would ever work in a hotel again. I wasn't even sure if that industry, if that industry and the things that I loved about it would exist once we came out of the other side of it. Will I be face to face with people again? Who the hell knows? Right. You know? Um. So yeah, just a very, um, yeah, just a very creatively uh, productive time for me and again it's just it's been a lifelong thing that I've wanted to do this and so I've never I've never I've never been I've never been closer right Right. and there aren't many opportunities out there in the world to do this
1: no because to go back to Jerry Springer and Judge Judy there would be all these conditions placed on it or all this this other need put on it but what I'm struck by is that you it's like you are um Fulfilling your role and also giving yourself what you need.
0: Very much so. And again, it feels like, um, you know, I communicate better because I have weekly practice. I've been practicing just basic active Mm -hmm. listening and active communication twice a week, every week for the past year. And if, hmm, and I'm thinking of it in a different way than, than I typically do. And, and I, you know, I think that this conversation is sort of enabling me to draw connections between, between things that maybe I wasn't able to. But if my interest in this type of entertainment, if I find out that the end goal is to make me a better communicator in mm-hmm. real life, if that's the end of it that's pretty yeah. cool. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah.
1: yeah, oh that's amazing. You know what it is is it's a meditation. When you you called it a practice, you said you're practicing active listening twice a week and it is, we're back to that theme of presence, just coming fully into the presence of yourself and a stranger and um, trusting our shared humanity. It's just really beautiful. I I mean, do you see how significant it is, what you're
2: doing?
0: It feels like a meditation. You know, I have my own space. It's, you know, no matter what is going on in a day, it's an hour or an hour or so, however long it takes (laughs) for me to set up. You know, it's it's, it's a window of time that's set aside specifically for me and for my creativity and for my truth. And so, I guess, yeah, in that way, it is, it, it's, it's, it's definitely a meditation. Wow.
1: What, what's exciting to me about it is that, um, it is that, that first of all, this will be around for a long time in whatever shape or form it will take, right? This is, this becomes part of a, like, record that will exist beyond us. I really do believe that all of this will exist and that there will be such a thing as a digital archaeologist who goes and tries to study, like, how did people respond to the pandemic or, or climate change? And I'm going to tell you that I actually, um, I don't have great hope for us as a species, um, but the reason that I persist in my work and, um, you know, the Care Forest Project is part of what I was doing and it was, you know, about trying to take a stand is because when whatever happens next, I want who, what, whatever kinds of consciousness exists to look back and say there are people who tried. So in the face of what feels sometimes like civil war right now in our culture and so much animosity and so much confusion, so much suffering, that there are people who are going to look back and say, look at, look at, here are examples in the face of a pandemic of people who did just extraordinary things and, um, for themselves and for others and and took things in a different direction moved away from kind of the hustle right into something that's just really pure what arose in them to respond to so that's exciting that some point in the future someone you know some graduate student (laughs) might be listening to this and documenting how people responded. And then, and then how things unfolded. I just think it's. I'm, I'm getting chills thinking about your work. And I only listened to one part of one podcast just to make sure you weren't like a prankster,
0: <laughs> right? I said, oh, and
2: I said
1: oh, this. I said he is absolutely lovely. This is just such a lovely young man, right? And I said, oh, I don't have anything to worry about, right?
0: No, I, I, hope, I hope at this point <laughs> in the conversation you realize that I am absolutely serious about you this are. show. <laughs> you are. Well, I got to tell you, I, I look. I look at what you have overcome in the same way because you mentioned that this was seven months ago. We were in the throes of the pandemic seven months ago. And so to already be living in the context of what's happening in the world and to have that on top of it, and to still come out of that, one healthy, and two with this unbelievably inspiring outlook on this situation that you've been thrust into. I, I mean, I look at it the same way. That's it's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. And it's 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 it's. I am envious of the strength that it takes to pull yourself out of well, that. Well,
1: I want you to know that I am keenly aware that you turned your attention from your inner experience back to me, but that's okay, I'm gonna let it go. <laughs> I
0: got a show to host.
1: <laughs> you, when you saw my email, you saw he said, Dr. Juco Holiday, Integrative Mental Health, you knew what you were getting into at some point, right?
0: Oh, I knew it, I, I, listen, I'm gonna ask you what the copay is at the end of this. <laughs>
1: But I'm aware that you shifted away from that which was arising and back to back to me. but that's okay. I appreciate that that um, how authentically you allowed that allowed that to arise. you know, yeah, it's very moving. Um, I, I think that um, one of the one of the silver linings of wounding and trauma is resilience. Uh, Because of a lot of my background that, you know, we didn't really even have to go into um, uh, that I uh, am really good (laughs) at bouncing back. I had to be. And so I feel like I've been training for this for my entire life. You know, it's like, yeah, of course, I'm the person is what happened to. And I haven't even gone into other things. It's like my business. Um, I lost a family member to suicide, a second family member to suicide. Um, my husband was facing a potentially very serious health diagnosis. And thankfully, that it turned out to be to be not the case. And he's well. And so um, it's like, yeah, I've been training for this. It's like, I'm ready for this. Um, I'm good at this. If you asked me to talk about something mundane, like if we got on here and you were like, you know, I I would have just been so uninterested. But the fact that we were able to talk about um, uh, beyond self experience, uh, that dimension of our personhood that is beyond our egoic sense, right, that space and so many really deeply profound things. This is my favorite thing to do. I tell my friends, if you wanna go shoe shopping, call somebody else. But if it's 3 a.m. and you are in jail and you need bail and you need somebody to just pick you up and not give you a hard time about anything, I'm your girl, right? It's like, that's my job. Right.
0: Everybody needs a person like that. Everyone needs a person like that. And I feel
1: awful because I don't say yes to, like, shopping things. I just, I'm not interested in it. But people know that I, and I think that it goes back to what you're saying about our roles, that my role is just to kind of wait. And when the shit starts to hit the fan... I find that I am able to stay in a state of regulation and nervous system regulation. I might fall apart after and often people do, but that I actually get more calm when things get chaotic and that's just from, you know, training, childhood, upbringing, all sorts of things. Um, So it's just so fascinating how we're all made for different things, right? So
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah.
0: And I'm I'm glad that in this conversation we were both able to to do some traveling. We we Whew. did some stuff. We got into some we stuff today. We got into
2: today. some stuff. Uh,
0: yes, and I um, I uh, me changing the <laughs> subject had nothing to do with my <laughs> level know, of comfort. It's
1: time. I just
0: um No, no, no. It's, it, and honestly, no, it's it, it, it's not even okay. that it's time. I think it's that um you know, for as much as I talk to people, sometimes I'd, there's a little bit of discomfort. I don't, I don't, I'm very cognizant of the possibility that I can make everything about me, and I try to avoid that as much as possible. So maybe in the back of my mind, when I sense that, okay, this is becoming too much mm-hmm. about me, I have to pull out well, a little bit. Well, you know
1: what's interesting I, about that is that you know that I don't characterize us as separate. So when you talk about yourself and your path and your experience, you are not talking about something that is different from me. And this is this is like me kind of like this is the most I'm going to commit to, like philosophically, spiritually, right? Is that there's only one of us that that we have these separate this this sense of separation, these roles to fulfill. But we co-create the atmosphere with each other. You and I, you're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm in Ben Lomond, California. We are on the same ground and we could imagine a map, and the same ground is holding us and the same sky is covering us. And the cells and tissues in your body your water molecules, um, you know, there's like a high probability that they pass through my body, right? Do you know? So, so we're sure. not separate. So I just, I think that's interesting. And I'm not like chastising, like you know, I, I think I'm a non-dualist. So why would you, you know, worry about that? Right, but right, right. Just, of course. I just want you to know that I did not experience you as focusing um, too much on yourself. I, I cherished it. I think it's just amazing. I'm just oh faith in humanity restored man yeah
0: well I'm 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 glad I'm glad I'm glad this conversation can do that and again it's um you know one of the one of the positive side effects of being able to do this is that I um You know, I get a little bit of humanity Mm. restored every time I have a conversation with somebody. They've all been good. I haven't had a bad one. And you would think that in close to 80 episodes, one of them would, like, not go well. They've all gone well in their own way. And I don't know if you can quantify that to, you know, a a blanket statement about people in general. But there, there has to be something that can be said about the fact that this has always gone well. Wow.
1: Congratulations congratulations. that that says a lot about there's some energetic container and intention and some line that you're following. I mean, because you pick the people, right? I, I got it was this really funny thing when I saw the invitation. I was like, oh, I want to do that and like please pick me. <laughs> like, I got like, right. I got like really, you know, it was very interesting my response to that. and um and so you are picking the the participants. And so there's something, something there, right? That you're doing that's that's making it all good. I
0: there has to be. I don't know what it is, but but there has to I,
1: be. I actually have one more thing because I might never speak to you again. I might never.
0: Please, I want listen. We are we are so past <laughs> the time that these usually go. I don't care. I want you to ask me. Because, I'm an open and book. I,
1: I believe this right is like because um, I also I, and I I can see that you are the kind of cat. If I was traveling, because I'm not a, a person who travels well, right, <laughs> um, but I try not to be grouchy. But I can see that mm-hmm. you are the person who would help if I was like having trouble, like my reservation or trying to get somewhere or if I suddenly realized I didn't have something or something was going awry. When you said that you, um, you know, worked in hospitality and the, the connection you felt with people and the empathy, I can just see that you're the kind of person who would help somebody like me because I'm such an absent-minded professor. Um, that, that I,
0: oh, that's oh. me. I'm the uh, that's me front <laughs> desk, uh, the guy at the front desk who will help you with anything. That is, I can just me. see you
1: just containing, you know, like you're the kind of person that I would say to. Um, because I've been in some, some unique situations, like I'm adopted and I met my birth parents. And so I could see if I was at the hotel about to meet my birth mother, that I could just blurt all that out to you because I just needed to say it because I almost can't believe that it's happening. Right. And that you would be helpful. Right. And that you would remember that. And I just, I just wanted to say that, that that comes across and I don't really know what the word for that is, but that there's a containment and a presence Um, That goes hand in hand with the broadcasting, right? And I wish when I was at this really exciting point of life where you are, right? I wish that somebody had said to me or had pointed out to me that my inner critic um, was that, that, that coming to terms with the content and realizing how untrue... What most of what my inner critic had to say was the key to really feeling free inside and peaceful and to be able to feel like I was moving. I, I feel like I move through the world with a kind of ease. And I do not have an inner critic that was, that, that, um, it, it is so rare that I have a harsh thought about myself that when it happens, I go, ooh, where'd that come from?
2: Right. right and right.
1: I wish if someone had, had and I went to therapy I was doing all kinds of things Christian but really the key was slowing it down and working with that critic and 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 understanding that it was not accurate and so that's what I wanted to talk to you about because I might never see you again or talk to you again and I just want I just feel like I want to oh I want to put that on the table
0: sure (laughs) What can I tell you about that voice that is my strongest critic? Mm. Well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you something that I have come to terms with as, as an adult. within, And I'll say this has happened within the last few years or so. You know, there's a duality to growing up, idolizing TV. And part of it is, yes, you prioritize communication. You prioritize, um, you know, your active listening, your ability to Look um, like you take pride in the way that you dress and the way that, you know, in all those things. The other side of it is that and and again, this is something I've come to terms with recently, is that there is an almost unattainable standard that is set for yourself when you hold yourself up to these people that you watch on TV Mm -hmm. because part of the illusion of TV is that those people are like that 24 hours a day a person like Bob Barker for instance has his own personal strife has his own things that he deals with when he's not in front of a camera has he's not on 24 hours a day nobody on television is on 24 hours a day and so I realized that for a long time I I hesitate to call it like I wasted time. I don't know if it was a waste of time because lots of wonderful things happened during those years, but I spent a long time holding myself up to this, to this standard that was set for me by television. Um, You know, if I didn't always have the right thing to say, I wasn't being my best self. If I didn't, um, and, And really, it came down to that. It came down to communication. It came down to whether I was saying the right thing, talking the right way. Uh, You know, did a moment pass by where I didn't say something funny, something quick, something clever? Um, Did I fail myself because I didn't do that? And for a long time, the answer was yes. And that was that was my my inner critic. My inner critic was like my asshole producer off to the side of the stage.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So that when I so when I talk about my inner critic, it's really it's really that voice, and it's really just that, you know, it's the um, and I guess a lot of people deal with it. That idea that you're not enough, you haven't done enough. You've done this, but have you done this? If you haven't done this, then you haven't done it. And that voice, day in and day out, would get very tiring.
1: Right. So 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 um, everybody, e- everybody everybody does I'm convinced I think it's fascinating that we have this inner dialogue that sometimes can be very harsh and pushes us and you know has this sort of analysis that's often inaccurate and very sort of self um harming right Right. you know um but we never talk about it so so much so that when I'm if I work with a client and I ask them about their inner dialogue they look at me like I have asked them about like their porn collection like how did you know about that right
0: <laughs> right 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 and, and and little do they know that it's right there you can see it it's not like a, it's not a hidden thing
1: right and so I'm just it's so it's it's it's, a, it's again this thing and I, I lost my articulate my way my ability to articulate it clearly when I was posing the question to you about it um, and about how interesting it is Every, I don't I have never met a person who um, doesn't have some version of that. You're not enough, go harder, do this, do that. And there's all sorts of theories about how those voices get embedded in us or where they come from. I mean, you know, um, there's there's theories we, we don't know for sure. but um I I, um, yeah, I was so curious about that because I knew when you talked about dress and thought Barker and television, that there is a container to it, but there's also an artifice to it as well.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and it's one of those, and, and it, it's, it's that aspect of it that has um, sort of taken center stage in my mind lately, that idea that, um, you know, the things on TV are not what they seem. And, you know, part of what I'm trying to do for myself in life in general is take those core values from that lifelong dream that I've had and figure out how I can adapt them to everyday life. I might not be on TV. I might not be a game show host by the end of this life. You know what I mean? It's a very select few people that get to do that for a living. Um, And so failing that, how can I take the core concepts of that discipline and apply them to a more um, a more practical everyday life, right? And that again is what led me to hospitality. I mean, I I lucked into my first hospitality job, and I it was a four star, four diamond luxury luxury inn in Lancaster. It's the only one in Lancaster County. And that's where I learned to work the front desk. And so for a long time, and and this place has been in and out of my life for about six years now, it is in my life right now. And that's where I am. Um, But for six years now, I've gotten to wear a suit, meet interesting people, give away things for free, (laughs) celebrate with people, Mm -hmm. make them feel welcome, make them laugh, and if those things aren't the lion's share of the core values of a broadcaster of a of of a Bob Barker of a game show host, right. then you know I don't know what is. I've just been lucky enough to find uh another discipline where those skills work themselves in
1: wow yeah there's there's um there is this there's this this idea in yoga there's a yogic yogic philosophy um and it is uh the idea that we have four aims in life and they're called um the dharma artha um kama and moksha and so dharma is like what you were saying our role our path what we were kind of designed to do what we enjoy to do and we find our dharma by um following those impulses right like bob barker right like like recognizing that that connected with you in some way and that kind of points you to your path. And then Artha is how we um, earn a living, is how we take care of our material uh, obligations, right? And, you know, family and your bills and how you pay your rent and how you feed yourself, et cetera. And Kama Kama Sutra, like a lot of people have heard that, but it's pleasure, right? It's sensual pleasure, not just sexual pleasure, but um, beauty, um, taking in the... Uh, world through the senses being present with the sensual world and um, it's also kind of like fun right like just enjoyment and pleasure and then moksha is spiritual liberation and working toward a realization of the nature of the true self and so when I heard you talk about how you take the values from this container where you encounter this role right and how you take that and then apply it in a different place, I thought of, and you might not earn a living at it, right? Um, as a game show host or as a broadcaster, that might not be your artha, that not, might not be the way you pay your bills, but it certainly sounds like your dharma, right? It certainly sounds like part of your purpose and path. And um, it just feels like it has a very significant and deep meaning. And sometimes we're led to Things that are that Rio Bajo Rio, the river beneath the river, sometimes were led to these deep things through very su- superficial means, right? Or seemingly right. superficial, like Judge Judy. And by the way, I never answered the question about Buddhism. I was trying to impress this guy and I bought a book called Awakening the Buddha Within by Lama Surya Das so I could put it on my coffee table so when he came over, he would see it and be like, ooh. And...
0: <laughs> I love it. And you just ended up fascinated with it. And
1: I read it and I was like, oh... So I just want to say, so see what I mean? Like, you know, you can, sometimes we, we might have um, an interesting gateway (laughs) into our dharma, into our purpose. Right. And and then Artha, you know, I happen, my dharma and my Artha are very intertwined. So I'm, but that's rare. That's rare. Often they're separate. And my Kama game is really like, I do not have enough fun, Um, but my work is fun. So I've, and I do other creative things. And then Moksha is just, I mean, I think I've been on that liberation path path since that moment of you know you know me that's not who i am i think that right. that was an indication that I, oh okay some people have a physical focus in life and my focus has been this kind of beyond self collective connected experience but um i just wanted you to know though that everybody has that i think everybody does and um and that um recognizing that voice and um recognizing that it comes from the thinking feeling self and it's usually not accurate it i mean it has all this commentary and analysis um but if the 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 more you can focus on listening and looking like wow that's a lot that i'm laying on myself isn't that interesting that i'm saying that to myself right? right it's amazing because it can, you can get to the point where if you think, oh, I should have said that, or, or however it arises, that it will be like overhearing somebody yelling at someone. Or I can imagine how you would respond if someone suddenly started being unkind to another person very loudly and criticizing them unjustly. I could imagine that you would, you, I don't know if you would intervene, it would depend, but I know you would re- see that and know that that wasn't okay And so it can get to that point where you'll have a thought about yourself that's critical. And it will, it will sound like somebody yelling at somebody for no reason. And it's like, oh, where did that come from? And that is actually of all the things I've done, like that has been the thing that has, um, oh, just served me best in life is just, just slowing my inner critic down. And then I stopped buying into what it was saying. (laughs)
0: I'm going to take those words about that and I'm going to, um, I'm going to sit with them for a while because that, you know, that is, um, that's part of the struggle, you know, that's part of it. And um, wow. I got to tell you, Dr. Juka, (laughs) I really was not anticipating this conversation going in this direction, but I I feel, I I feel transformed by us having this conversation. Um, I'm, absolutely blown away thank you for sharing everything that you shared um yeah thank thank you so much of course
1: thank you thank you for entertaining this coda
0: (laughs) listen i i um i'm all about i'm all about you know like i said in the beginning as organic as possible whatever happens happens i've never said no to a topic um you know doing this thing and so i'm 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 glad i didn't i'm glad neither one of us said no today
1: oh yeah me too and listen um if I, I am always curious about how your path is going, and, and if it's like 10 years from now <laughs> and you're like, hey, oh, and I'll see you maybe on TV. I'll be like, oh, they said, can I do the podcast? Look at him up there on his game show. <laughs> All right. You go ahead. All right. You know,
0: I love it. But like, I w- we will absolutely keep in touch. <laughs> yes, yes I, w- I would love to. I would love to keep you informed of what's going on in my path. Yes, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I'm, anytime, time you need a deep breath. Or like, especially if you have a question about the inner critic or something, I'm here for it. It's like my favorite thing in the world.
0: (laughs) I appreciate knowing that. Good luck with everything going on on that side of the country. Good luck with everything going on in your life and your and your rebuilding and your new tiny house and your tiny dog. (laughs) My tiny dog. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: My pleasure, (laughs) Doctor Jugo. Thank you so much. Have a have a wonderful night.
2: Okay. You too. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye -bye. Bye -bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, from my studio in Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. New episodes premiere every Saturday on all major streaming services and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Follow me on Twitter at StrangerThanC and follow me on Instagram at StrangerThanChristian. If you enjoy the shows, support me on Patreon. Not only will you be supporting unedited honest conversation, but you'll also receive lots of perks and bonus content. Go to patreon.com/strangerthanchristian to give your support. Until next week, thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian, part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. I'm Christian Carrion. Good night. Stranger Than Christian is a Fat Pauly's Bagels production. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. i appreciated being able to have such an honest and open and candid conversation with dr juco it was definitely one of the deeper experiences i've had talking to people for this show um and just highlights a lot of the reasons why this project has become uh, my main source of creative fulfillment over the past year or so um yeah, just awesome talking to her. And I hope you enjoyed it as well. Thank you for listening. Again, thanks for your patience while I took that two-week break. Um, just needed to sort of be off-grid for a while while I helped my wife recover from her surgery. Um, but, yeah, life is going great. Um, I have reached the end of this particular cycle in terms of, uh, of guests. And so I'm at a point where I need to rethink how I'm going to get guests going forward. Because this is the thing. And I feel like, I'm sorry, I keep like having to burp. And I'm trying not to burp into the microphone. Um, apologies if I do. Um, I'm trying to figure out a new method of getting guests and retaining them. Because this is the thing. I booked myself like three months out. And some you know somebody in April, if they book a... Reservation appointment, whatever you call it, in July, you really have to keep on top of that person to have them remember that they have this one-hour appointment to have a discussion with a stranger three months from now. And so, I think what I'm going to do is start booking like a month at a time. And if you get in, great. If not, I'll I'll talk to you on the next go around. Um, But the the demand to be on this show has outgrown. Um, What I am prepared to handle on my own, Uh, even with the help of the apps that I use, my calendar app and and, uh, all the stuff I use to contact people and keep in touch with them and send reminders and things. It's a lot, but that's a good problem to have. I'm excited for that. Um, I can't help but think back to the beginning when I was literally calling people on the phone and putting the fucking thing on speaker. And putting the speaker up to my blue snowball microphone and talking into that microphone while I held the phone into that microphone. Can you imagine the type of quality you got from a recording like that? If you want to find out, listen to any episode from one through eight, (laughs) especially the especially the first four. I was definitely finding my feet. Um, Show sounds a lot better now than it used to. I'm very glad for that. So what's next for right now? I'm going to take a couple weeks and air some of the conversations that I have recorded. Uh, I will eventually get that form back out there so some new people can sign up. I hope I get more non-Americans this time. I really like talking to people from other countries, and I can only speak to so many podcasters and streamers from the Northeast and the Southwest and the Midwest before I run out of shit to say. No reflection on those people, but listen, what am I going to do, right? So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you've taken something from it. Do I hope you took something from it? I don't care if you did or not. It's fine. Uh, If you needed to take something from it, it's there. Go right ahead. Um, But really, I'm after my own creative fulfillment right now, and I'm, I'm there, and it feels great. And remember, it is always worth checking the end of the tape good night everybody